Hello, freaks. Welcome to Radical Research. This is episode 107. I'm here with Hunter. Let's let the music do the talking again. Good evening. And clearly you don't want to say anything more. You just rather. Well, I mean, yeah, let's just let the music do the talking. You just had a really good sandwich. Do you want to talk about that real quick? And uh, it's an egg sandwich. And like, our, gotta, the, like very, the very first thing we did as Radical Research was post a test blog on the egg sandwich. Uh <laughs> Just to see if like the site was working. That was right. even before we put an episode out. So <laughs> I, I feel like we should let everybody know that you're not, as we stated in the blog, you're not, and I think it's still up there. I think it's still on radicalresearch.org. But you're not strictly, as we said in the blog, a a very bare bones egg sandwich guy. You can deviate. I can. I and it uh, you know, everybody got to deviate from the norm. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> but yeah, tonight I, I got home from work later than I wanted to and was just looking around in my refrigerator what I had. I had some leftover French bread from yesterday and some sharp provolone, a couple of eggs and half eaten jar of Calabrian chilies and melted that provolone, threw on the eggs, the chilies, freaking delicious. A yolk on the eggs, semi-runny. A little bit runny. Uh, no, not there. not for this one. I, I mean, it, no no coloration on the on the fry. Um, not hard either because that's just a texture I don't love. But set up nicely. Gotcha. Nice. Yeah. Thanks for the update. Episode one hundred and seven. Before we begin, a couple people to thank for donations. You can always donate at radicalresearchpodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, very direct. Just go to PayPal. You can always write to us at radicalresearchpodcast at gmail.com. We appreciate everybody that does. We appreciate you getting in touch and giving us your thoughts on what we're doing, what you're doing, what you're listening to. Uh, you can always hit us up at Facebook. Just type in Radical Research Podcast. We'll be there. We like to post playlists. If you haven't kind of joined us on that already, uh, we do it about every week. A lot of us are voracious listeners. We have pretty long lists and pretty wild lists. And uh, a lot of people get turned on to other lists. And there's a lot of cross-pollination and communication between everyone, and it's wonderful. So join us there too. Okay, got all that bullshit out of the way. want to talk serious about these two guys that gave in the last week. Uh, one of them is James Riley. He happens to be a friend of Ken Golden's and shares that really uncanny musical taste with Hunter and I in terms of like, yes. the yeah, the wild directions he'll go. He gave us a generous donation that played with the title of Universe Zero's 1313 album. We appreciate that so much. And then there's another valued listener and donor, Jonathan Moore, who gave a contribution based on Windeer's 1184 album. So clearly we're in good company here. You're all getting really creative with the contributions too. <laughs> um, stuff that we wouldn't even have thought of. Uh, we're humbled so much by every one of you. So to the matter at hand, Tiamat, we have a i'm not sure if danilo nataloski I'm, I'm sure i'm butchering that last name and i i apologize danilo danilo probably butchering your first name but this I, is would say, I would say danilo i don't know i don't Danilo know. probably uh and and, and it, danilo danilo however uh it should be pronounced uh please hit us up either email or facebook and let us know because we we talk about you quite a bit and we well, talk he, about you every time this album comes up. Yeah, I, I, right. It's 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 almost like I've gotten him all mixed up in Deeper Kind of Slumber by Tiamat, uh, their fifth album and the one under the microscope tonight. 
because he has been, he has written us a few emails, both early on in our podcasting about what was that five, six years ago now, six years ago. And uh, ago, yes. Yeah. I'm frequently post on the Facebook playlists uh, sharing page. And um, he, uh, man, he um, often has deeper kind of slumber. Tiamat's fifth, like I said, came out in 1997. He often has that on his playlist so much that we've taken notice. <laughs> and he's also <laughs> sent just kind of independently. He sent me things because uh, we've queried him about it and he does love it that much uh, as we do. I just don't think we listen to it as much, but he's, um, you know, sent me some information about it. He sent me Chris Dick's liner notes, uh, my, my good buddy, Chris Dick from just over in Durham right now. I guess we can say friend of the show, friend of the podcast, Chris Dick. He did liner notes for a deeper kind of slumber, some 2018 reissue right around that year uh, that I didn't have. And he sent it to me a while back and then he resent it again. And it was at that time that Hunter and I thought, well, <laughs> I better go ahead and do this. Um, <laughs> before we start with a deeper kind of slumber, I think, I think this is one of those albums where we do a whole album type thing where we both felt it would be do it some injustice and certainly the listener, especially people that aren't familiar or didn't think they cared, do it some injustice to just cover it without any context. So we are going to listen to a few snippets from their older period from 1991's Astral Sleep, The Southernmost Voyage. That's their second album. Uh, 1992's Clouds, a little bit of Caress of Stars and from 1994's amazing Wild Honey, a little bit of Do You Dream of Me? These are shorter snippets than we normally do, uh, but this is just kind of setting up where we heard some hints of a deeper kind of slumber in Tiamat's earlier music. Deep down in the mud, we 
scars on my head, in my heart and my blood. heard three songs Tiamat's second record uh, The Astral Sleep 1991 uh, from their third album Clouds 1993 and their fourth album which is probably a top 30 album of all time for me uh, 1994's Wild Honey whenever I listen to it it's um, it's the only record in the world for me <laughs> so before we Sorry, not to correct you, but I will correct you because it's a 1993 related thing. Clouds is 92. Really? Released in September, recorded, well, obviously before that, uh, recorded probably summer. Why did Eula Garrett have it on his 93 list? I don't know. Son of a bitch. I've never even checked it because of that. Ooh, we got a 1993 controversy here. We got a 1993 dust up. (laughs) Look out. As you were. But before we get it, before we even talk about what we just heard and before we delve in too deeply to a deeper kind of slumber, I probably could have picked a better adverb there, but here we are. Uh, (laughs) Tiamat uh, is um, really run by the linchpin, primary songwriter, vocalist, uh, Johan Edlund. Anyone that has read, and, and we would recommend for anyone who has not read Daniel Ekaroff's um, fabulous history of Swedish death metal called Swedish death metal came out um, on a bazillion points um, several years back. A must have, a must Must have. have. Yeah. Must have. Tiamat was not only one of the earliest uh, death metal bands in their original iteration as uh, Treblinka, but, but really probably more 
spiritually connected to black metal. And they were far more primitive, far more satanic. Um, they wore corpse paint. They, in, in fact, early on, they were really sort of outliers. Oh, yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, it was it was closer to mayhem or early root than it might have been, you know, whatever was nihilist, yeah, yeah, nihilist, yeah, like, the nihilist demos. and Yeah, like uh, root or Master's Hammer. Yeah, it's yep. weird occult underground late 80s Europe. Yeah, and Tiamat's Sumerian Cry certainly has more death metal influence than Treblinka, but this would just be one step along the evolution anyhow, because they were always moving, always moving, always moving uh, to different places. But um, my thoughts on them, especially their earlier stuff, I, I don't think it's great. Like, I don't think Treblinka were great. I think they were interesting historically, very much so. And I like some of it genuinely. But I feel like it took Johan a little while to get comfortable with what Tiamat was anyway, because we have Sumerian Cry, which I think is good and interesting and better than Treblinka, but still not what I'd call great. And then I think with Astral Sleep, they really became the band that they're still known for, really, even though they've changed quite a bit since that album. Yes. I I, I don't, I like Sumerian Cry less than you do. Um, oh, wow. I, and And this might surprise you, but I actually prefer Astral Sleep to Clouds. Oh no, that didn't surprise me at all. Okay, I, no. I think Astral Sleep is a more a more confident record um, Ag- for agree. what it is. Agree. Uh, yeah, and I, the songwriting's. I, yeah, I, I think that uh, that's the first sign of real greatness that we get from Tiamat. And then Clouds is um, definitely moves into the their world of. I, I want to say this carefully because I don't mean this as an insult, but like these whispery vocals. Right. That more subdued, dreamlike Tiamat that is a huge part of the next two albums after Clouds. But I think Clouds was the, one of those ultimate transition albums where not quite at the point that it got to immediately afterward, which was Wild Honey. It's interesting. It's got great moments. And it, it also moves into the world of doom a little bit. You know? It does. You no, know, it's, a, it's a very, very melancholy record, too. Yes. But, uh, but yeah, I think that um, Johan had a bigger vision around that time than they were actually able to to execute. And, you know, Wild Honey came out and, I mean, it's, it's a damn <laughs> perfect record. I mean, in, in, I mean, it's some of the, it's probably my favorite Kristen Wallen painting. Um, oh, it's yeah. Probably my favorite Woodhouse production. Um, I mean, just everything about it fires on, on every possible cylinder. And I don't know where you were with Tiamat when it came out, but I'll tell you my short experience with it. And then I want to hear yours and then we'll, then we'll jump to deeper. But um, when Wild Honey came out, I, I knew them already. I, I was, I had the, the first three albums. I don't think I owned Clouds yet, but I had a friend who had it and I eventually got it. But I was very familiar and very interested, even though I've said that like, yeah, was it, it wasn't top tier stuff for me ever until Wild Honey, but I was interested. And then when Wild Honey came out, you know, still to this day, very much my favorite album by this band deeper would be my number two but wild honey was a shock i mean it was one of those true shocks it was the angel rat shock or the uh in a very very bad way the octagon shock because you're like how could battery be this bad any 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 great band could be bad but when metallica and battery get that bad you just wonder how How many times have we brought up octagon on this show too much too much (laughs) 
I'm a huge Bathory fan. I got rid of it because I figured I was a better Bathory fan by getting rid of it. Oh yeah, keeping it just oh, because it's Bathory. I think and um and I'll uh, maybe I'll I'll confirm this the suspicion of mine and maybe we can put it online or something. I believe that in the collector's guide to heavy metal that is uh, by Martin Popoff. Let's let's give credit where it's due. And, oh, and, and I mean, it's an indispensable book. I mean, mine is just ripped to shreds from all the times I've read it. I've seen it. I Find think I'm going to buy you a new one for your birthday, next birthday. I would, I would love that. I mean, <laughs> it, despite the fact that I disagree with almost everything that Popoff has to say. Um, it, it, but uh, yeah, I believe that he rates Octagon above all other battery. <laughs> right. I have so much respect for Martin. I, I feel bad oh, laughing dude. at that because he, he and I, are, I, I consider him a friend. He's a good dude. Yeah, we disagree, but that's the nature of all of this, right? Of course. Yeah. There are there aren't many people like you and me who hardly ever disagree on music. But anyway, um, yeah, it, it's 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 stunning. Um, uh, but this is not a show about octagon, and there never will be. It's not my passive nature, but I'm gonna put my foot down on that one. On yeah. making sure it does no, happen. No octagon show. No octagon show. Thank you. Well, I mean it's it's decided. Maybe Dr. Octagon. If we get a flood of letters. At our street address, which we don't even give out, then yes, it will. if we get bags of letters, handwritten letters, to do an octagon show, we will. If any member of Afflicted <laughs> asked us to do it, we might. Right, right, they... right. Afflicted or Hammers of Misfortune. Or, yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, how did we get from fucking Wild Honey to Octagon to Deeper Kind of Slumber? But here we are. But no, I loved Wild Honey when it came out. It was a game changer. It was an exciting period. It was one of the first bands that had their foot way deep in ex what we'll call extreme metal, for lack of a way better word. It was one of the first of that kind to head out pretty far and pretty quick. Yeah, and even, I mean, you think about those huge evolutionary steps, like um, same year, like uh, Tales from the Thousand Lake. Yeah. Uh, but like Wild Honey went even, like something like Do You Dream of Me? I mean, it, it's there's no drums, there's no distorted guitars, and it's not like an interlude. It's like an actual song, and I mean the guitar solos on that record are I mean, <laughs> the the most articulate and elegant guitar solos in, in metal. But it was yeah, it, it was a shock to me. So I I already had clouds. I didn't I did not get it. Oh, okay. and I was already. I mean, I was obviously. So I was like, let's see, I was 14 and I was, you know, already into some weird metal. Um, but there was something about clouds that that I just did not understand. Um, I didn't understand what they were trying to achieve with it. I didn't have a lot of I didn't have much of a frame of reference for, you know, like music that operated outside of, uh, again, for lack of a better word, extreme metal or like Indian noise rock. Yeah, I didn't know sure. anything about the seventies. I didn't know anything about Pink Floyd or anything. Um, I didn't know anything about Tangerine Dream. Wow. Whatever. So you had a very different opening to Wild Honey. Like, yeah, Wild Honey was like yeah. one of my first psychedelic records. Wow! Oh, fantastic! And it is psychedelic. That's a good one. I'm also glad you mentioned guitar solos because we were talking about "Do You Dream of Me." The the solo at the end of that is fantastic. Yes, uh, the kind of acoustic, and it's played by Magnus Salgren. I think we should mention him, Magnus Salgren. Yes, uh, interesting dude because he was he was in Lake of Tears for a very short time. He was in Dismember for an even shorter time. I think I'd have to check. I think just one album, 
and he plays kind of as a guest sort of member on Wild Honey, but man, he's a huge part of, of making Tiamat what it is and was at that time. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm yeah. really glad you mentioned that solo because I anyone that's not familiar with that album should definitely, I mean, because it's got that, I mean, it, and in fact, that solo takes the song in an entirely different direction. It's this sort of like somewhere between like Southern Spain and like Moorish Africa, you know, everybody's high. I imagine like magic carpets and, you know, like shooting stars. I mean, it's amazing. Plenty of mushrooms. Plenty of mushrooms. Yeah. yeah. So, so do it's, drugs, kids. Do drugs. <laughs> do psychedelics, if you like. I mean, at some point, not all the time. <laughs> How's that? Yeah, did, I, did I get out I like of it? Did I, did I endorse and get out of it pretty well there? <laughs> you should be in politics. Oh God, <laughs> what a terrible day to mention. All that. right. Um, I'm ignore. Yeah, you're you're on you're on notice, man. I am not participating anymore. Fuck it, fuck it all, fuck every one of them. Everything. Okay, so we get to three years later, a deeper kind of slumber comes out, and Wild Honey was actually quite a, a bit of a of a success as well. It was like it became their best selling album. It's one of Central Media's best selling albums for for years. It was anyway, probably still. Although I don't know, it took everybody by surprise in a way. Uh, it was one of those where you were like, mm, have no idea how this is going to sell or be received. And it did really well. So three years later, they go through some lineup shuffles. People come back from older lineups. And here we are with a core of, we mentioned Johan Edlund, uh, the leader. Uh, Lars Skold comes back from, uh, he's a drummer, played on Wild Honey, right? Uh, yes. And then uh, Anders Ewers, uh, who had been in the band uh, only about a year by the time this album is recorded. Uh, but he has quite a resume. Uh, Cemetery, Ceremonial Oath, has done some times in In Flames, Dark Tranquility. So pretty well-known guy. And Thomas Peterson, who had been in the band for Astral Sleep and Clouds, left, didn't play in Wild Honey and came back for Deeper Kind of Slumber. So here we are. We're going to listen to the opening track, Cold Seed. I'm interested to, to hear your thoughts on this song and the first time you heard it. Okay, let's go.
Okay, so you asked me to tell you what I thought when I first heard this song. And as much as I love this album, and as, as connected as I am to it, I even saw them in the year it came out at Dynamo. They they headlined over Marilyn Manson and Corn. They were the last uh, show of the not only the night, but I think the whole festival. Well, but, it, yeah. that certainly would have been an oversight in America, but you know, well, it, it was it was amazing, and and the show was big. They were painted. They had the lights. I mean, just it's it was. It was a peak for them, no question. And I got to see the show. And it's the only time I've seen TMI. Uh, but I'm glad it was that one. It was really good. It worked, you know, the outside. I don't love outdoor shows, especially during the day. But at night, it was perfect. And you're in Holland. So it was it was cool. Right. Um, so given that, and my memories of it, and my, my attachment to this album, I don't remember hearing it for the first time. And I can usually do that with most really key albums. You know what I mean? Like, I remember when I heard Wild Honey, for instance. But I don't remember. I know I got a, one of those thin case promos of it i was at metal maniacs we did a story on it yeah you did yeah that was based on the interview i did with johan which is a whole other i think chris dick is the only person in the world who's ever got johan to speak more than like four words per answer it, it like <laughs> 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 so no but i guess i guess my impression i remember overall the album and thinking wow okay this is another level but i think wild wild honey had kind of massaged us and gotten us ready for that you know it wasn't yeah. it wasn't a, as much of a shock as wild honey was it felt oh. like completely natural so to me i what i hear in cold seed is like pyogenesis when they wanted to be type o but in a more pink floydish world that's what i hear oh. and, and it's, and it's goth rock is all hell yeah that's what i got like uh it it, it it shocked me like once i heard the album in total and and was able to to process it as an album and not just as cold seed, it made a lot more sense, but it, it it did shock me. And I had gotten uh Paradise Lost one second, I think maybe two weeks before I got this album. Oh. <laughs> and um I was just like, what is going on in 1997? And you know, I, I thought like cold seed sounded like sort of like uh like catatonia, but as a like straight up goth rock band. I well, heard kind of where the Catatonia would go later. I wonder if this sure, was any yeah. influence on them at all in 97. Yeah. I mean, because what Bray murder day was around this time and uh discouraged ones came out in 98. I mean, yeah, I wonder we're conjecturing here, but yeah, I mean, you might've think like, maybe we'll take the plunge too. They have certainly mentioned paradise lost as an influence. Their, uh, their, their favorite two albums are the first two in host. We're, and we're on board as hell with that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we, I know we agree on host. Um, but yeah, Johan mentions listening to things like surf music, Dick Dale, The Shadows, Man or Astro Man. And you can hear that in the da 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 That kind of like, and that drive, it keeps going. The guitars keep kind of like driving it. And um, it does have a, a surf vibe. But I don't think I would have identified that had he not mentioned it. And I know exactly, I, I know what all those bands sound like, especially Man or Astro Man. I've had a, a few good friends really into them. So I get it now, but like, I don't think I made that connection early on. I never would have, but it, it does make sense now that you say it. Yeah. And you mentioned the time this comes out and how this is weird and what's going on in 97, you know, Paradise Lost. The guys have said, and this is from Chris Dick's 2018 liner notes, that the label were kind of like, happy about wild honey but not really sure where this was going they just they weren't even sure if like they knew it really wasn't even metal and this is the first time tiamat there's metal here but it says goodbye to metal for the most part yeah and i've heard robert kampf uh, one of the two main guys at century at that time and a really good dude 
I heard that he was in the studio a lot and kind of around it a lot, not loving it, but still like, yeah, you guys do whatever you want. We'll see what happens. And it did pretty well. I mean, it was another one. I think it was another success for them, for sure. And the reason I say that is because there was no direction given by Century Media. Johan was left to his devices. And apparently the, the band was feeling really good at the time. They'd all worked with each other before. Uh, it wasn't like some brand new thing. And Johan had complete creative control and had a lot of time for this. And I think that's probably one of the major through lines here, right? Yeah. Just how, how wildly creative it is, yet how focused it is as well. Like it was, it was a really, really well-crafted album. I, I mean, and, and I think, I think Johan deserves so much credit for like focusing so much and putting out something so long. It's an hour long, but it works as an hour long album. It's a very, uh, it's a very difficult thing to, uh, to pull off. Well, let's move on. This is uh, the second song. <laughs> Do you want to pronounce it? I guess that's a no. Tio Nanakadal. I, you're, I think you're really close. Tio I don't know. Uh, that's that's my best attempt. Tio Nanakadal. reference to sleep and i think that's something we got to mention because for johan it's pretty simple sleep is often if not always a metaphor for death he said as much and we look at the astral sleep their second album all things sleep no songs about naps yet but <laughs> what i love well there's a lot, a lot of things i love about that one it's also a first mention of drugs and just imbibing in drugs in a, in a what seems to me like a positive way in terms of just exploration of the mind, exploration of your physical surroundings. And that really came into the fore in Wild Honey, right? With oh, psilocy very much so. yeah. psilocybin tea and all that. And 
this is about having a person over and it, it sounds romantic, but until I read Chris Dick's liner notes, I didn't know this. It was more about just having a friend, a generic friend, anybody, whatever, and having them over and taking drugs together. See what happens. And there's that great line. You can it's stay. So polite. Away. Sorry. It's so polite though. It is. Very, well, it's, it, it's, it's sweet. And here's it's the like thing. intimate. Yeah. It's, uh, well, it's yeah, very intimate. This lyric, actually, the one I'm going to read, the, the one I like so much has gotten a lot of flack from people. Like I've talked to people who love this album. They're like, oh, but that's kind of a lame line. Like, no. Oh, okay. I love it. You can stay at my place if you want. I'll sleep on the floor. Yeah. And the delivery is so sweet. It's so giving. And it's just, I love, and I love the, I love, I love his approach. Yeah, I do too. I love, I love that image. Nice. Yeah. And the music behind it is gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. And there's the other line. If you begin to fall, please have some more. <laughs> hey, that's why we're here. We're here to fall down on the floor a few times. <laughs> you probably know the, uh, if we took a poll, it would have to be the most derided Tiamat lyric. Spider snakes and little mice. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I got it. I knew you would. Just you had to dig a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And that's one, as much as I love Wild Honey, maybe I could do without that one. The little mice. It, spider snakes, that's fine. Mice are even fine. But the the little mice. It's, little it's, mice. It's really storybook. And, and his delivery is almost like Mr. Doctor or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it walks a fine line for sure. We put together um, the entirety of the third song, Trillion Zillion Centipedes. Another thing that Johannes commented was basically about seeing things. <laughs> he says the title of a, a trillion zillion centipedes, the title is a bit like a trip going wrong, puking out something. I fell in love with the words, the combination of words. I, I love that line about trillion zillion centipedes. That's a, a minute 29, and we're joining that with the fourth song, The Desolate One.
talked about the the trends of the late 90s and especially like where european bands were going i mean electronic music was just in the air i think pretty much every band that wanted to experiment was branching out into you know the possibilities of digital technology as a means of doing that or but, yeah or, or what anathema did or that yeah yeah, yeah. I, but, I, I, but, I see the track you're on absolutely Few few bands did it quite as well as Tiamat. Um, mm. I, I mean, some of the the rhythms and things on deeper kind of slumber would probably work well as instrumental, authentically electronic music. Oh wow! It, okay, yeah. Normally, it sounds like pastiche, or it sounds like you know a, a band dabbling in something. But the the electronics on this album are done i think remarkably well and it, it again it just adds to the overall effect and i mean it's it you know electronic music is very often psychedelic music too so sure, sure. you know there he, he's really by, kind of a by nature thing yeah 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 exactly so i mean johan's just accessing all these different reservoirs of psychedelia and it's a, and the recording is warm, and we'll talk. Yes. We'll maybe get into that later because uh, there's a lot to talk about here, and I want, don't want to get in that track yet. But the recording is fantastic. That's the thing too; is it sounds really good. It it sounds earthy enough. It's well rounded in the production realm as well. You know, we were talking yeah, about. I, I guess I guess last episode on our favorite recent al metal albums, we were talking about how a record only succeeds at its finest when all of the things are lined up and that includes things like production. Yeah. And, and sequencing. And this album is sequenced just right. There's a great lyric. And I, I think Tiamat started to have great lyrics right around um, wild honey for sure. I mean, these the, wild honey and deeper are also my favorite albums by Tiamat because I think they're his best lyrics of the whole catalog. So on the desolate one, we get uh, a lyric that reads by a pool of amber water, a sticky smell of carrion kind integrates with nature slowly. Um, and the way he delivers it is really nice. He's got, uh, in a good way, he's got a kind of a thick accent, works really well with this stuff. Like it, it's succeeding on a lot of levels. Uh, it sounds yeah. pretty great. Yeah. A lot of beguiling and strange lyrics throughout the catalog, but, uh, the sound particularly, uh, that gets us to an interesting title, Atlantis as a lover. Love this. I mean, I just love the, the image. I mean, cause it's so, uh, it's so meaningless. 
<laughs> right, right. But, but it, but it, it, you know, it gives. I mean, it's like you know, a, a re- mythological place as a, a lover. lover. Sure. Okay. All right. But you know, it's like the option of reading a book or watching a a film dramatization of it, and this allows you just to imagine whatever that is. And I mean, it's yeah, it's all sorts of you know, weird, pathetic fallacy things going on here too. Like, a yeah, mythological place under the sea that the narrator has taken as a lover. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. Metaphysical, I guess. things to say there Anders Evers the bassist played fretless bass on that did you hear it oh yeah yeah Yeah. we should have like fretless bass watch it's kind of a thing that doesn't happen often enough in metal or metal-ish bands and it should it's Um, it's very difficult to play well Um, (laughs) great intonation and it's not like a skill set that a lot of you know rock and metal bassists learn so uh, it's the church of Steve DiGiorgio yep it's what it is. Got a great quote from Johanna Edlund. Again, thank you, Danilo and Chris Dick, for uh, bringing all this together. Uh, <laughs> Johan said uh, regarding this song and title, so you'll, you'll be interested in this, because I don't think you know this. I don't remember where the title comes from. It's probably related to Wild Honey or the word honeymoon from whatever that hurts, which is a song of Wild Honey. Mm-hmm. Uh, this isn't about a honeymoon, but rather a moon made of honey. <laughs> it's psychedelic. It's complicated. Why can't Atlantis be a lover? <laughs> so that's that, that's clear as mud a response mr ginn uh, yeah yeah like i said <laughs> yeah. um there there's another um lyric in the in the course that the lyric that opens the course that i love 
I breathe in the fumes of oils unfathomed. Okay. I'm so I don't have that in my notes, but I'm glad you brought that up. Because that works so well because of the accent that's technically wrong. Fathomed. <laughs> right. The way, the way he pronounces fathomed is great. Yes. And I forever thought it was of oils and perfume or something. I, I can't remember. I misheard that. Didn't get deep into the lyrics of this album when I first got really into it. You know what I mean? Like it was sort of secondary yeah. to me at the time. Yeah. And yeah. now I, I I love them, you know, like, and that's the the best thing is the unfathomed, unfathomed. <laughs> unfathomed. Yeah. No, of oils, unfathomed. Yeah. Man, I'm glad you brought that up. And it's a beautiful part. Like you say, it's a, it's a great lyric and well sung. A lot of emotion on this album. This one gives me chills still. Oh, Absolutely. No, it was, um, I actually, you'll see it on my next playlist because, <laughs> it, um, you know, going through your snippets and, and picking mine, I, I, it just, I, I was so bewitched all over again that I, I just had to go and listen to the entire thing. And yeah, it's, it's magical as it ever was. Yeah. This has happened to us. I know that like, we'll cover something and we'll I'm know it well, but we, maybe we haven't listened to it in a few years or, or whatever, maybe even longer. And this happens. So I, same way, I, I fell in love with it deeper, no pun intended, since <laughs> doing this. So we're going to listen to Alteration Times 10 and tacked on to that will be this interesting instrumental, which is probably my only criticism on the album, for Leary Biscuits. Remind me to tell you something about our dear friend Thomas Clark because of that when we um, we, we come out of this.
I guess I'll work backwards. Four Leary Biscuits is the Satari trippy thing that we listen to, and that's a, an instrumental. It's from a Timothy Leary thing where he would put marijuana on four biscuits to start his day. His recipe was called Four Leary Biscuits. Um, so <laughs> there we are. I don't think it's a song, though. It's very good. Like, this is the one that I wish they would have dropped to make it about a 56-minute album. I could do without it. I, I kind of like it. Um, uh, it's it's probably the trial of the bow fan in me. Um, it's a little it, it's a little too obvious. Yeah, and, and yeah, it, I, I think it tries a little too hard to be what it is. Right. Um, right. It, I it find sounds... a lot of sitar in rock and metal to be that way. Like that's a little bit forced. You're not George Harrison. You're not Ravi. You're. Yeah. I can't name a ton of sitar players, but it can, it can go wrong quick. Well, it, uh, it's like uh, the uh, the beginning of. Um, riots uh, uh, i was gonna mention society. society i did i was like we can't go down a riot rabbit hole here can we <laughs> yes but, but but it's like it's so cliche and so out of yeah. place on a great this album sons of, so sons of society is great we got to say that you know, we, we, we're both huge fans of that album but like yeah that's the one part where you're like eh, no <laughs> and it's called snake charmer right it's like yeah guys I think it's appropriate for Four Leary Biscuits in terms of what it the title is, but I, I wish it deserves better. I think it's an interesting concept for an instrumental and a great title. And Alteration Times 10 is this gorgeous, kind of looser, less defined thing. I don't know. It, it's still a very mysterious song to me, and I love it. It's in an odd time signature, which is a very weird and unusual thing for Tiamat. I think it goes in seven some. It is. Know? It's in seven, yeah. A kind of a smooth seven. Seven can be erratic if you want it to be and it can be smooth and they they just smooth it out i think but thomas wyerson who's the same guy as thomas peterson we mentioned earlier guitarist uh he goes by wyerson now he says it's one of the earlier songs that they worked on alteration times 10 and he says parts are from sessions that predate predate wild honey that's kind of cool oh um and he said if we did wild honey too and thank fuck they didn't this song would have been on it yeah i'm really glad they didn't do that <laughs> right wild honey too the return this time it's personal. <laughs> this time we mean business. <laughs> oh no! But my, my quick, my quick, um, Thomas Clark, Thomas Knoll. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Um, it, so at some point in the future, in deserts of hex, and issue number two should be at the presses next month, and then will be available exclusively through Radical Research. You and I are like neck and neck with the, uh, just pushing the Voivod book a little bit. Yeah, just, just a little bit more. Yeah, just a little bit of, out till 2024, later 2024. And, yeah. that, that, it's, so it's a, it's a race to the finish line with Deserts of Hex and this Voivod God. book. God, yeah, yeah. The open number three comes together a little more quickly, but... Uh, well, like, I, think, I think we're happy with the results. I, it's not for lack yeah, of... Yeah. Well, and, and it, 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 it. I mean, it, it's no fault of anyone's. I mean, it, it's just been um, life things that have kind of gotten in the way. I mean, the writing's been done for, sure. for you know, for six months. But um, but anyway, that, that that's neither here nor there. We look uh, forward to it. Cannot wait. At some point, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. It's going to be, uh, and we're going to do 100 units of it this time instead of 50. The, the last one sold out yeah. really quickly, but um, the... the the margins on a, a 50 run magazine are pretty bad. I think we could get down to brass tacks. We can make the third one fucking sell like 3 million. Three million at least. Yeah. Well, fucking yeah. 
Um, but at some point in the future, maybe in number three, Thomas and I have been, we've been talking about doing this for a year. Um, uh, kind of a, just taking a deeper kind of slumber and breaking it up um, between us and just going deep into every single song. I think and, you could. I think I think it's got enough. Yeah, yeah. It, it does. does. It does it, because it, it's got the lyrics too. It's, yep. it's got everything. Yep. But Thomas was like, you have to promise that I can take four Leary Biscuits. Oh, not me. Really? Yes, I I, I, I anticipate. He was like, I have to have that song. I will be writing Tom an email after we're, we conclude tonight, asking him to reveal to me exactly why. I can't wait. I can't wait for Deserts of Hex to come out to find this out because that's going to be like two years from now or a year or six. It'll months. Be, it'll, no, hopefully the end of this year. I, I'm I gotta I gotta know if I gotta know why. And if you yeah. know, don't tell me. Don't ruin it for me. I don't. I wonder, I wonder I if don't. it's to exalt. It seems like it's either to exalt to an extreme degree or to punish on an extreme degree i don't yeah yeah i think what i mean obviously whatever his response to it is is extreme i like that he just had such um so much to say about like taking that one <laughs> you know that's interesting uh because because it's four leary biscuits which i would toss off the album but you wouldn't toss it off though i would not i ain't gonna you know kick four leary biscuits uh out of bed for eating crackers you know what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh the album cover which album cover do you have because the, the the european version is johan looking at us sleepily longily uh in this very psychedelic form he's bald he's painted he looks painted he's holding a, a bouquet of blue flowers of some sort and blue is yes. the rarest color in nature uh but it exists like in terms of this blue in, in, in flora anyway yeah that's the version i have Okay, so that's the European. I, I think I got it as an import um, from Metal Disc, or I got okay. it as soon as it was possibly available. You will pry the original European Digipack, all full color Digipack, from my dying hands. Mm. To paraphrase the NRA's slogan, "My cold and dead hands," because it's a beautiful package. It's 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 a really good package. Here's here's another layer of hyperbole we could throw in this album before we finish tonight. Is that? In the U.S., even in 97, it wasn't like a reissue type thing. The original issue was that thing of Johan from a side view. Side view, yeah, I do biting, not like Biting it. on gears. And it's like, yeah. it's an obvious thing to go, oh, they're trying to like make it look metal, even though they know very well that it's yeah. fucking not really a metal album. Um, yeah. How, how can we summarize? How would you summarize, I should say, like the, the metalness of this album? Because I go back and forth. Sometimes I would defend this as technically a metal album or truly... And then sometimes I'm like, that's nah, so far away, you know. Like I don't I, know. I don't know that I think of it as a metal record, and it doesn't I mean, matter. We know that. We ultimately know that doesn't matter. But it doesn't. I mean, but any more than I th could possibly think of, like, well, albums we've already talked about. Like, is one second a metal album? I mean, no, not really. But it's got some heavy stuff on it. Sure. Um, yeah. Where host is not. Host right. is absolutely. Well, no, host is absolutely. Host barely even has guitars on it. It has the vibes of early Paradise Lost in terms of the despair and, and despair, various things. Yeah. And that's why it worked. That's one of the reasons it works so well. Let's move on. This is only in my tears at last. You, like Thomas Clark with Four Leary Biscuits, you shot out when we were talking about doing this episode and said, I want that one. Yep. Um, I, I'd like to say why after we play it, because it, it, it all comes down to one very, very minute detail. 
and oh. and the thing the the image that it evokes in my mind it's a very every time i hear it i feel this i feel like i'm in this very specific place in a very specific frame of mind um you're blowing my mind because i'm looking at my notes again from chris dick's interview with johan from 2018 this 2018 reissue and what you're saying about it putting you in a certain place we talked about that last time with uh, i think veil mode right yes okay yeah, yeah exactly yeah okay we'll yeah. listen to this we'll listen to this and i think i might blow your mind at how spot on you are that's weird Let's do it. So let's, hey, let's, dude, I, hey, I'm just gonna go ahead and blow your mind. I'm Johan Edlund. Boom. Holy shit. That is I a know, radical man. research I mic know. drop. You heard right it there. first here, folks. That is a radical research mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> Look out. I'm like the I'm like John Weston. Ooh, kinds of weird references. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> all right, Earlier, all right. This song is uh the awkwardly titled Only in My Tears It Lasts. <laughs> yeah, that I'm not really sure about that one either. So that thing about place that uh, you mentioned, here's a quote from Johan from those liner notes we've been talking about. It's actually about the village I lived in. It translates to English as Oakwood. So he's very specific. Okay, back to the quote. It's a beautiful little village about an hour away from downtown Stockholm. It got its name from the oak trees, but that was long ago. The last one had rotted out after 120 years, so they had to cut it down. That was the last oak tree in the village where I lived. It was sad. End quote. So okay. getting really specific with geography and you, and this is where you said it's this, this song made you travel there. Is that, and this is. Yeah. It, it, but in it, like more interior. So, you know, big surprise that my favorite moment of the album is <laughs> that just it, unapologetically pornographic synth part. The one I mentioned to you when we were listening. Yes. 
Yeah, we totally agree on that because when I was listening in the headphones with you, I said, this is my favorite part in the album, maybe. And like, I didn't know that was, is it your favorite part of the album? Like, is it your favorite moment? Because for me, I think, did you pick this because it climaxes the album? Not to. I mean, I, I picked, I, I asked for this because that moment is probably my favorite part on the album. Um, and Let me... so it, in terms of like where it takes me, um, I imagine being in I don't know, a listening room or a living room. It's, it's summer. It's really hot. So the sky looks a certain way and it's like maybe seven o'clock and the shades are kind of pulled and the sun is kind of dappling through them and just hitting the walls and hitting the floor. And I'm totally high and totally in living inside of this record. Dude, I um, love that. Ideally, that's a that's the best listening experience is when you're completely immersed. You've submitted completely and you're immersed now in this this world. It, it, it does. Is, like that cool. that moment just swallows me up. It's world building. And this is yeah, Tiamat got really good at that for 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 a while, right? Yeah. <laughs> we haven't even talked about the next, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the next five albums, and I don't think we will, but we're gonna keep focusing here. We come around the corner with the album now. I think, you know, like we've like we've mentioned, it it sort of client has this great climax to it. There's more though, and it, it never seems like too much. This is the horrors of Babylon. me is a little bit how i had always wished tom g fisher's apollyon sun band had sounded oh yeah it's yeah um it's sort of what it goes for I, there's one demo they did actually that i really like it wasn't the most well-known thing they did you know they had like an ep that came out and then like an album and eh you know 
all respect, man. But this is more like that. And then like, and, and I do hear what has to be some frost influence. You know, I feel, oh, I feel like this is where you hear Johan saying I'm a Celtic frost fan, Celtic frost, if you wish. Do you get that at all? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, but, and we've talked about this, but you know, for, you know, avant-garde metal, I mean, Celtic frost is the, you know, the, or, or Celtic frost, if you wish. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the font of all wisdom and, and inspiration. They're a lodestone. They are, they are. Um, and I don't think I even thought about this when I was listening to it last time, but it's like, um, Kind of what I always wanted the most accessible Leibach to sound like. Mm -hmm. Kind of Marshall a little bit. Um, sure. But yeah, it, but yeah, this is a really interesting turn in this album. Um, it, it is because it never really goes back. Then we get back to no. the sleepier stuff. You know, what's also funny about this is being 97, like this never gets into that cheesy area. It could have. This is an album that could have gone into that super cheesy area of like, whatever that kind of commercially industrial yeah was. like Rammstein or static x and if if they had thrown a bunch of like cheap metal guitars over that it would have like it would have ruined it oh, right yeah right <laughs> you know what i mean yeah no disrespect but like dino Cazares on guitar yeah 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 exactly yeah. uh we we love early fear factory here we do Kite and Phantasma Deluxe. Now, Kite is a short instrumental. I, I believe we're playing most of it. And there was another song written during these sessions called Kite that all the guys like and mention in these liner notes that I've been <laughs> mentioning. And it's a completely different song. just has the same title. It got through a pretty late stage, but they decided not to put it on the album. So that's weird. They don't explain why, though. I guess I might ask Chris. I think that's sort of interesting because I want to, I just really want to hear it. And it's never, ever, ever, ever come out as far as I know. Has Chris um, heard it? I don't know. I'll have to ask him. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, we joined that with Phantasma Deluxe, which is, um, yeah, just, I think this isn't, as we mentioned, the Horse of Babylon is kind of this little sort of sidebar almost. And then it gets back to the Somnium.
the transition from from Whores of Babylon to Kite might be the most abrupt on the entire album. As Kite is just so beautiful, so peaceful. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like the first music you ever heard as a band. It almost yeah, it almost gets in into like new age territory without being you know, without the, the worst tendencies of new age. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. We've talked about a few dicey subgenres already. <laughs> a couple of the early Mike Oldfield albums get there, but not in a bad way. He's he's amazing. Um, yeah. Uh, Phantasma Deluxe is a song that all the bands still speak very highly of, and they still play it live, apparently. I, I mean, what can you say? It's another really good song. I wouldn't say it's a standout, but it's another really good song. Yeah. It, it um, If I were thinking about you know, live songs to pull off of this album. I, I'm not sure that I would have thought of that one as a, you know, a standby. I'll bet it translates. I, you know, I mean, I hadn't thought about it before. Yeah, that's but, true too. Yeah. yeah, You could see it like morphing and over the years or into something maybe better. Who knows? But then the album ends and it, it, we, this is what's kind of genius about this album. We talk about sequencing, you know, like there are 13 songs. We're now at Mount Maryland song 12. It's a 10 and a half minute song and it's, huh absolutely enchanting and then there's the five and a half minute ending a deeper kind of slumber enchanting is probably the the best word for mount maryland it is it's 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 like a dream world mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, yeah and it it fully supports its uh or fully justifies its 10 minute length um i, I think it needs that
So that's uh, named Mount Marilyn after Marilyn Lovell, the wife of Apollo 13 astronaut, and I think commander of that mission, but I'm not sure. Herself kind of a figure. And um, and indeed, uh, Johan says he wrote that song about her. Uh, well, about Apollo 13, the movie with uh, Tom Hanks. Oh. Uh, but yeah, they used to open shows back in the day, back in the slumber era, uh, especially the festivals. And I think when I saw them, uh, with this song, which Anders Ivers, uh, Evers, the bassist, uh, calls "Gutsy," <laughs> which is yeah, which is about right because it's it's a great song, but you need to be eased into it. I think you you need to already be well into this album to get into that. Um, yes, well, I mean that's why it worked yeah. well at the end, um, rather than at the beginning of a live set <laughs> in front of probably the biggest audience you'll ever play to. Yeah, in front of 50,000 people. <laughs> in Holland. Yeah, I think there's more. I think it was like a, I think at that time, Dynamo was doing 80,000 during the headliners. 90,000. Unthinkable. Yeah. I know. Well, it's it's pretty nuts. It's why yeah. I don't go to outside, outdoor European festivals anymore. Although I'm glad I went to a few. I'm glad I went to a few. You have to do it. It's like LSD, which is appropriate for this show. But anyway, we're going to jump to the end of the album, uh, a song called Deeper Kind of Slumber. I kind of want to end this episode with it just to go out if you're if you're feeling good. If you're not, you would have oh, yeah. If you're not, you would have turned this off a long time ago. But uh, thanks for listening. We are at radicalresearch.org. We have one T-shirt left. We have Deserts of Hex number two coming out soon uh, in a Voivod book in 2024. No question. Next episode, 108. I think you'd like to introduce this one. Our next episode is going to dig deeply into one of our favorite eras of Napalm Death, but one of the most divisive. We're talking about 1994 to 1998. Jeff and I have defended these albums for years. It's not a matter of being contrarian. We simply think it's some of the best, most interesting, most vital music that Napalm Death ever recorded. And we're really, really excited to share our thoughts and our enthusiasm with you. I can only echo that. And I look forward to it. I think it kind of places us in a similar time as what Tiamat were in, in terms of the strange mid to late nineties, right? In metal. If you were a metal band, if you were a metal band of any kind, like there was so many changes commercially, just kind of just the, the zeitgeist, right? Of, yeah, yeah, everything. Band. Yeah, so it's another interesting time, and I can't wait to tackle that, especially after this sleepy album, which has been wonderful, but I think that'll wake us up a little bit. That'll be a caffeinated episode for sure, for sure. Um, rather than psilocybin.
Oh, we didn't. You know, what's funny. We, we didn't mention Woodhouse and the fact that it's not a, a Voldemort album. But um, oh, uh, is it? With I just, yeah, yeah. I, no, no, no. A Dirk Dirk Drager or Schrager, who the only other metal band he's known for is uh, of any note is Morgoth. Yeah, yeah. But Siggy did um, the drum engineering. Oof! <laughs> How specific. <laughs> Dude, you fucking yeah. nerd. Dude, you fucking <laughs> he sure did. I just looked it up on Metal Archives. Siggy Ben. <laughs> Shit. <laughs>